And Jen and I hated being away from everybody this morning. Um, we got to enjoy a little camping and out in God's nature and the beauty and everything. Um, camping out in the woods up in Salina this weekend and got to spend the morning worshiping with some friends of ours at the congregation in Salina. They started their VBS this morning, so we got to spend some time with them and the kids in class. Um, it's nice to get out and to, to visit with other congregations. And uh, for some reason, this always sticks in my mind. Brother Tom Holland said here one time when he came to our gospel meeting several years back is he loves going to congregations he's never been to before because he wants to meet the people he's going to spend eternity with. And I, that, for some reason, that stuck with me. Um, but uh, I do appreciate Mark Holloway being willing to come this morning. And I understand he, he did a fantastic job. Um, and I've got a bit of an act to, I was told to follow tonight. Um, some of you may not know Mark. Um, his family, they worship over at Zion. Um, Mark's 21-year-old, I, I, I believe. Um, and, and this is what impresses me. I contacted him probably 10 o'clock Thursday night and asked him if he would be willing to preach this morning. And so he had a, about a two-day notice. And, you know, when the Lord says that his kingdom is never going to fall, I, that right there is that kind of stuff that gives you faith that you've got a young generation coming up that you've got some people that are very strong in the Lord's church, and it gives me a lot of encouragement. You know, the, the last couple weeks, if you've been a sports fan, has been really exciting. It has been a fun last couple of weeks. I mean, I know it, most everybody was probably watching the Nashville Predators. Everybody in, I know in Tennessee, probably most of the country was tuned in watching game six of the Predators against the, the Penguins that they played in Nashville. There says, I looked online, so there's 11.5 million viewers tuned in to watch that game. That's the most people that had watched an NHL playoff game in over four years. It was intense. It was exciting. Most people are still mad that the refs called a goal off that they didn't let the Predators have. I mean, there's, there's just enthusiasm. There's an intensity about it. People are excited to be around it. Maybe you're not a hockey fan. Well, it didn't matter because the NBA championships were going on at the same time, too. And now you have LeBron James that people are now trying to compare to see if he has surpassed Michael Jordan as the greatest basketball player to ever play in the NBA. That has gone to seven straight NBA championships, and now their stats are starting to be very comparable. And he's playing against a team who some say is like an all-star team with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and all these other players. And their one game that they, they scored all oh, those 86 points in the first half, hit 25 threes, setting all these records. It's exciting. People go to work. They talk about it. Or in the water cooler, people are having these arguments about who's the best. Is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? And people get passionate about this stuff. Maybe you follow politics. This last week in politics has been a little bit of a whirlwind, if you're watching any news at all. I mean, you had the, the charity baseball game between the Republicans and Democrats that they've played. I think it's like since 1906 they've been playing this game. It's well over 100 years they've been playing it. And a madman comes out with a high-powered rifle during a Republican's practice and starts shooting. And you have House Majority Whip Steve Scalise, to my knowledge, uh, last I'd heard was in, still in critical condition, had been through two surgeries because of it. The game still went on. They had the biggest attendance they'd ever had, raised the most money for charity they'd ever raised. There's a lot of people talking about it. You turn on the news, that's all you seem to hear about right now. And, and I bring all that up for a reason. So bear with me for a moment is... There's something else that has happened since the time the NHL championship games were played 
and the NBA basketball championship games were played, and all this stuff went on in Washington, D.C. this last week. And so I sometimes wonder if many of us ever notice it. Five times we met and worshiped God. Six times we met and had Bible classes. That's 11 hours of worshiping and praising our Lord. Now, people can go through and that we can quote statistics. I mean, just rattle them off the top of your head. Of all these games that have went on, you get your favorite athletes that, man, I can tell you stuff that they did 25 years ago, and they've been retired for a dozen or more years. I know everything about what happened. But do I even notice or remember what we do here? Could I tell you the name of the sermon that Randy preached last week? Why is it that we get so caught up and so enthusiastic and so excited about all this other stuff going on in the world, but this sometimes, it's just, we're just here. Does it mean anything to us anymore? And that's what I want us to talk about for a few minutes this morning, is why is it that I don't wake up out of my bed excited to go to work and talk to somebody about Christ the same way that I might be excited to go talk to him about the Predators game that was on the night before, that I just can't wait to get there and talk about him. It's a growing trend that seems to be going on in the world today that really concerns me is people's approach to Christianity being very casual, a very casual approach to Christianity. And I will say, before we really get very much into this, I debated for a while that this idea has been in my mind for a while about wanting to build a sermon around it. And I really had a hard time trying to figure out what direction I wanted to go with it. Because I'm going to be honest with you, for the next few moments, it's probably not going to be a very easy sermon. I, I had to do a lot of very personal soul searching while I was putting this together. Um, it may not be easy to listen to at times, but the intent is I, I want us to all stop for a minute and take a look at ourselves. Are we living our Christian lives too casually? Are we giving it the attention and the respect that not only it deserves, that God demands? You're starting to hear this concept of this come as you are. Now, really depending on how you look at what that phrase means, come as you are, that is scripturally based. And, and from the standpoint of God doesn't expect you to be perfect before you become a Christian. That you just need to know he is the son of God, he is risen, he has come here to save us. There's just basic things that you have to know and to believe. Everything in your life doesn't have to be completely washed clean. That's what's going to happen when you become a Christian. Now, you gotta continue to grow from that. The problem though that so many people in the world and a lot of denominations have taken this idea of come as you are is then take the next step as you just stay as you are. It's like Christ is going to come to where you're at. No, there is no meeting in the middle between us and Christ. We go to him. So I can come to him as I am right now and become a child of his but I don't stop at that point. I must continue to grow. It's like this idea of repentance has just disappeared from so many people who claim the Christian faith. Turn with me over to Isaiah, please. There's a couple passages we're going to flip through today or this evening and look at, and I, and I do want you all to turn and look at them with me. Isaiah chapter 1. 
And honestly, this verse right here is where, because um, I, I got uh, looking up online about this whole um, concept of come as you are. And I, some of you may have heard that said before. This right here is actually one of the passages that people point to saying that this is a scriptural concept of come as you are. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So it says, come now and let us reason. I'm going to wash your sins away. Come as you are. But listen to verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. There is no stopping after verse 18. There's a condition put on that. We must continue to grow. We must continue to be obedient to Christ. Are we allowing ourselves to kind of step back in our Christian faith and just treat it casually, just like we treat anything else? And, and I, don't, I don't use the word casually like we're dressing casually. Oh, Jonathan, I don't wear shorts and flip-flops in here to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm meaning it just it doesn't really hold much of a place in my life. Yeah, I go to church every time I can, but, you know, I'm to miss every once in a while. Everybody does. And, and you get these ideas of we get in this rut of thinking about all these things that Scripture condemns. This says you're not supposed to be doing this, you're not supposed to be doing that, and you're not supposed to be doing that. And we read these things sometime, and I'm talking doctrinal type things, and we start thinking, you know what? Man, those Catholics need to change. The Bible says you ain't supposed to do this right here. Pentecostals got some problems. Those Muslims, they got some bad stuff in their life right now. They really got to take care of it. Well, we, we hear verses like Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Where does our mind go when we hear stuff like that? Do we automatically start thinking about the denomination down the road? Hey, you guys down there, God's talking about you right here. You're saying, Lord, Lord, he says you're not going to heaven. How many denominations existed when Christ said that? None. Not a single one of them. That was said during the Sermon on the Mount. His church had not even been established yet. He was talking to people who were going to become part of his church. His church. That's us. He's talking to us in that verse. People who claim to be part of the true church of God. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, 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 is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because we claim to be a part of the church that Christ started in the first century doesn't mean that verse is not going to potentially apply to us. It could us just like anybody else in the world. We get, like I said, we get in this comfort zone of thinking that I'm saved, I'm good, my life is going pretty smooth right now. The status quo is working. You don't want to mess with it right now. I don't want to kind of change anything and chance, you know, hitting a couple bumps in the road. I kind of like riding on a nice smooth highway. I, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to step outside this comfort zone right now. Everything's going really nice. And like I said, you come to worship. Do you visit the sick? And sometimes, not all the time. But you know what? I don't worship with a piano. Well... Do you feed people who are hungry? Yeah, not really, but I don't cuss. I don't use the Lord's name in vain. I don't do all those little things. You know, I, I listened to a sermon not too long ago by Adam Fawn. And I, I, we've heard his name a lot, and we use some of his articles in the bulletin sometimes. Of um, 
He said in the sermon, he said, true religion is about so much more than avoiding the don'ts. And I think sometimes we get wrapped up in this idea of, here's this checklist of everything the Bible says you're not supposed to do. Check, 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 check. I didn't do them. I'm good. But how much did we actually do? Did we go and actually accomplish anything for Christ? And I know a lot of people say, well, well God doesn't need us. Well, yeah, true. In a, in a sense, God doesn't need us to do anything for him. But if, we want, if he wants this gospel to be spread throughout the world, he has left his word, his holy word, in human hands. If human hands is unwilling to spread this word, it, how's his kingdom going to grow? So in a sense, God does need us to be the carriers of his message. We have to take this out to the world. But how many of us are just happy of coming and sitting in a pew a couple times a week? We worshiped. We didn't do all the stuff that we're not supposed to do. And I went home. I'm good. All right, so let's look at a few things for a few minutes of some, some more specifics. And a lot of these ideas I got, I had posted on Facebook earlier this week um, when I was trying to get my, my thoughts um, in line of kind of where I wanted to go with this. And I just kind of posted the, basically the sermon topic is give some examples of what would be an indication that somebody is treating their Christian life too casually. Listen to some, I mean, I got a whole lot of responses, but here's a few I wrote down I wanted to, to read out. You assume that Bible reading is optional. You worry more about what people say than what God says. You assume everyone else can lose their salvation, but you can't lose your own. You act differently on Sunday than you do on Monday. You miss services, but there's always an excuse for it. There's a lack of your involvement in things that happen at the congregation. Your calendar gets filled up, and then you look and see if you can squeeze God in somewhere. Your family goes on vacation, and that includes vacation from worshiping God. Then the last one, I really like this one. If you're faced with an important decision you have to make in your life, and your thought is immediately, what do I think about this, instead of, what does God think about this? Or what does the Bible say about this? Let's look for a minute at the way that we worship. Turn over to Malachi chapter 1. And this is a passage that Brother Lester read for us just a moment ago. Malachi chapter 1. Let's read together in verse 7. It says, You offered defiled food on my altar, but you say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? The priests basically were... were they had got outside of what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, they're going through the motions. They're checking the boxes. Look, we're still doing the sacrifices. We're still offering. We're still offering the right animal. But the whole spirit behind what they were doing was gone. It was completely lost. And, and God said, look, you've defiled my table by what you're doing. And they said, look, how are we defiling your table? We're not doing anything to this. And God's response to them was very simple. Look at what you're offering. You're offering me the blind. Remember, they're supposed to be offering 
perfect animals with no blemish. They were absolutely perfect. He's offering them the blind. He's offering the sick. Basically, they were not giving their best. They were not doing the best that they could. In their mind, it was fine. At least they're doing it. But in God's eyes, it wasn't good enough, even to the point of he's saying, you're defiling my table. Stop it. Stop doing it. He said, fine, if, if you think it's really good enough for me, take it to your governor. If you had, get away, priest, from offering something to me, take that same sacrifice and go see if your, your earthly rulers would even accept something like that. If they're not going to take that, why do you think that I should take that? Is pretty much God, what God was telling them here. How does that relate to us? All right, well, let's look for a second at our work and the way that we approach our Christian life. What if I approached my job? I work at the bank. What if I approached my job at the bank? What I do? My job is to train other bankers, make sure they're, they know what they're doing. What if my approach to training other people was the same as my approach to teaching others about God? The desire that I have to make sure I'm doing my best at my job, how does that compare to my desire to be the best Christian I can be? Even to the point of my attendance, do I show up at my job? I mean, I'll tell you, if that doesn't happen a lot, you won't continue to have a job. But people don't seem to want to relate that over to a worship setting. What if my, my desire to please my boss, to do what I'm told to do, and not just that, but to want to grow as an employee, to better myself so that maybe I can move up within the organization, that I can have a better influence on the organization. Do I have those same desires as a Christian to want to do that within the Lord's church? Or, look at it this way, if I took my desires that I had within the church and I applied those same desires at my job, would I continue to have a job? Or would I be one of those employees that just kind of faded into the background and fizzled out and they eventually let me go because you're not doing anything? Yeah, you're pushing the buttons that we're telling you to push, but, I mean, we can get any robot to do that. How are we worshiping today? Are we giving God our best when we're worshiping God, or are we simply just going through the motions? When we sing, we, we seem to take a lot of pride sometimes in saying, we don't use instrumental music when we sing. The Bible says we're not supposed to do it, we don't do it. But you know what? The Bible says sing. If we stand here with our mouths closed while the song service is going on and don't sing, what's the difference? It's still sin. You're not giving your best to God what he commanded of us. Do I allow my mind to wonder? We're sitting here taking communion, doing the Lord's Supper, remembering the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made in the, the history of this world. Am I sitting here thinking, oh, I wish they'd hurry up. I'm getting hungry. I've got places I've got to go. How is that giving God the best worship that I can give him. All right, let's move on to the next one. What about evangelism? Am I approaching evangelism too casually? Well, you say, Jonathan, well, we support missionaries. We pay Randy. We support Randy. We do evangelism. Well, evangelism is not something that we pay someone else to do for us. We are all commanded to evangelize, every one of us. 
It is not something that you, yes, you have evangelists, that that is their job. They make a living at that. And if you're very good at it, you can make a good living for your family doing that. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that I can just write a check to some man over here and I have now got, got rid of my obligation to have to evangelize. That's nowhere in Scripture. We all have a command that we are to evangelize. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. I believe this is a perfect example of that. Acts chapter 8. And I think most of you probably remember what happened in Acts chapter 7. At the end of it, you have Stephen was stoned after he, he basically knowing that he was going to die, decided to use his last moments to teach about Jesus Christ. He didn't try to get out of the situation. Look, if I'm going down, I'm going down with gunslinging, basically. He took the last opportunity of his life, his last breaths, trying to evangelize, and then he was stoned for it. But look at verse 8, and this is what I think is interesting. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. All right, so it's almost like the stoning of Stephen. It's like it was the spark that ignited this wildfire of the persecution that was coming. Once that stoning of Stephen started, they had to scatter. And it says there in verse 1, it says, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The Christians there, they had to go. Skip down to verse 3. It says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This war has started persecuting the Christians. But listen to what verse 4 says. This is what I want us to hear. It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, who is that? Who is it talking about in verse 4? I mean, it had to be the preachers, right? It had to have been the apostles, that they're the ones that were scattered, and they went everywhere to spread the word. Well, look back at the end of verse 1. It says, And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They didn't go. So who is it that got scattered and is spreading this word? It's people like us. It's just your every run-of-the-day Christian that didn't carry any special title within the Lord's church. They just understood that they had a responsibility as Christians. They had to tell people about them. And, and you may think that, Jonathan, I, I'm not a preacher. I don't know how to tell people about it. I'm not educated in this good enough. These people we read about in Acts chapter 8, how many of them you think had a Bible degree from Freed Hardman? How many of them do you think had, had sat at the feet of what we consider some of the greats today at like the Memphis School of Preaching? How many of them had been through formal education on how to go out and to teach somebody? How many of them had tracts they could hand out? How many of them had these Jewel Mueller film strips that they could go into somebody's house and say, hey, sit and watch this? How many of them had a Bible? The Bible didn't exist yet. And yet they were still able to go everywhere and spread the word and grow the kingdom. I have no excuse. I have every tool possible available to me, especially now with everything on my phone. 
I can just pull everything up on my smartphone. I, I actually sat and write, wrote my sermon this weekend sitting in a camper on my iPad and sent it to myself at home and printed it. I, I have no excuse for not being able to do anything. These people didn't even have a Bible. And they still managed to evangelize the entire world. Every person in the world had been reached. That was people like us doing it. It's because they knew that their responsibility was to tell people about Jesus. Everybody they came in contact with, they want to talk about it. Do I even know enough that I can walk somebody through the plan of salvation? Just on a whim. I run into somebody in town, we get in a conversation, and something is said that I just know right then, hey, these people are thinking about it. Do I know enough right then to just quote them some passages that will explain to them what they need to do to become a Christian? Think about that for yourselves. Can I do it, Jonathan? Can, can you all do that? We're talking six or seven verses here that we have to memorize, that we have to know where they're at and the context around them. I, and, and this is where it really got into the soul searching for me. i got to say, if we can't do that, we ain't trying. We're not even putting forth an effort here. And these people were able to go evangelize the entire world everywhere they went, and I can't memorize six or seven verses just to explain how to become a Christian. I mean, I've become a Christian myself. I should at least be able to tell how it's done. I mean, I know how it's done, or how did I do it? Let's move on to another one. Have we come, become too casual in the way that we spend our time? And this one's kind of built into everything else, I guess. But one of the responses, and I didn't list it earlier, that I got back from the thing I posted on Facebook. And this one really got me thinking. It was just the number 208. 208. And he's another preacher here in Tennessee that posted it. And I've, I've talked to him several times in the past. And he said 208. He said, you figure that out, you have your sermon. Well, you may not know what the number 208 is off the top of your head. Some of you may know, know what the number 2080 is. I, you may you may not, I don't know. But so it's add a zero to the end of that 208. 2080 is the number of hours that you spend working at a normal job in a given year. 40 hours a week, 52 hours a year, or 52 weeks a year. That's 2080 hours. That's the amount of time that we will spend working on average in a given year. You know what 208 is? That's on average the amount of time we will sit inside this building in a given year. That gives you two Bible class, two Bible class periods and two worship settings. Four hours a week, 52 weeks a year, 208 hours. If all the time that I'm spending working on becoming a Christian is during those 208 hours, that means... I'm 10 times more invested into my career than I am into my faith. If that's it, if I don't do anything outside of this building to try to grow as a Christian, then I'm not reading my word. I'm not praying. I'm not going to gospel meetings when they're happening. I'm not taking my children to VBSs. I'm not, I'm not surrounding myself with Christian friends. I'm not doing something to try to grow and to better myself Two. 108 hours a year that's it and that may seem like a lot until you compare that to 2080 hours 
10 times the amount of time I spend on my job. That, what's it going to mean someday? I mean, yeah, you got to work. you got to provide for your family. But from an eternal standpoint, does it really matter what job I had as long as I provided for my family? This one over here, it matters. This one affects eternity. This will affect where I spend eternity. Are we doing more outside of just this building to try to grow as a Christian? I thought this was interesting, too, with the sign that was, um, that's been on the marquee for the last couple of weeks. It says it's hard to get in shape spiritually if you only work out on Sundays. Let that sink in for a little while. If you only work out on Sundays, it's pretty hard to grow spiritually. All right, let's go on to the next one. The media, entertainment, things that we allow ourselves to be exposed to. Have we become too lax, too casual? You know, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, it says to abstain from every form of evil. Now, there's been a lot of debates around that verse, and, and how far do you take that, to abstain from every form of evil? Because the Bible also says we have to live in this world. We're to be in this world, but not of this world. So how do you abstain from every form of evil? Does that mean you physically get out of the presence of it? I've heard a lot of people tell me in the past that, well, these movies and stuff, I just I filter it out. The music that I listen to in the car, yeah, I know it's got cursing in it, and I know it's got all that. I know it talks about being unfaithful. I know it talks about drinking and getting doing all this stuff, but I just... I like the beat, I like the melody, I don't pay attention to it, I just ignore all these things they're saying. You know, that movie, it's got a, it's got a couple bad words in it. I know it uses the Lord's name in vain some, but you know, I just, I just kind of drown that stuff out. You know, I'm going to challenge us for a minute. I, I'm, I'm not sure we're doing that. Not, and I'm not saying that because it's coming out in our lives, but I don't think what we're doing is drowning it out. I think what we're doing is we're desensitizing ourselves to what's going on around us. And, and the reason I say that, and it's, I'll share a, a personal story from mine and Jenna's life. When Avery got old enough that she could walk over to the remote control and change the channel, we cut our cable off. And you can imagine why. I mean, there's no telling if we're not in the room and she walks over and starts flipping it. You can't trust what's on a lot of ch channels today. We cut it off. We got Netflix. Well, there's times now we'll go back if we're on vacation or we're over at somebody else's house or something. We'll pull up on TV, and there's a show that we've watched all the time. We used to watch it all the time back before our kids were old enough to do that. And we'll look at each other sometimes with like our jaw just hanging open. It's like, I can't believe we watched this stuff. I don't think it's that we were drowning out what was going on or what was being said. It's we didn't even notice it. We had no idea that movie had that much language in it. It's we're, we're allowing ourselves to be so ingrained with this stuff around us that we just, it's just part of who we are. It doesn't bother us. It doesn't even make an impact on us. Are we allowing media and our entertainment that we're around to desensitize us to sin when the Bible clearly says abstain from every form of evil? Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. And I, I believe I've used this in a, a sermon in the past, but I want us to look at it again. Romans chapter 1, 
Verses 28 through 31, it goes through a, just basically a listing of a lot of different sins, a lot of things that are going on. And it talks about well, sexually immoral people, covetous people, evil-minded, haters of God. There's a lot of bad stuff listed. Listen to what verse 32 says. It says, Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Listen to the last part of verse 32. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So I don't even have to do the physical act that is sin. All I have to do is give my approval to the act of sin that's being carried out, and I'm just as deserving of death. I'm just as guilty of that sin. Is that not just drowning stuff out from the entertainment world? Pay attention to what we're listening to on the radio, folks. I mean, this, this is important stuff. This is affecting our Christian lives, which is ultimately affecting eternity. And not just our eternity. The generation today growing up is having to grow up, I believe, around some of the worst, most wicked entertainment this, this well, I say our country has probably ever seen. I don't say the world has ever seen because you have places like Sodom and Gomorrah that, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what those were like. But for in terms of what our country has seen, this may be some of the worst stuff coming. We have to be very careful about what this generation is being exposed to coming up for the reason being of what's the Lord's church going to be like? Is it going to start shrinking because we've allowed sin so ingrained into our lives we just don't care about it anymore? We can't allow ourselves to, be, ourselves to become so casual when it comes to the entertainment that we're around. Well, I left one marked in my notes here, and I put it out to the side if there's time. No, I'm going to do it anyway. The Church of Laodicea. I, everybody flip over to Revelation chapter 3. I think everybody knows probably what was talked about with the Church of Laodicea about them being lukewarm and that God would spew them out of his mouth, that they're neither hot nor cold. And I heard something in a sermon the other day that put a completely different perspective of this verse for me. And it's, you have to almost know a little bit of the history and the geography of the town of Laodicea. Um, it was a, a very ritzy town um, back in its heyday, it was kind of a banking center, metropolis kind of area. It was owned by the Roman Empire, and so it was overseen by, by Rome. And they were kind of down in a valley, had mountainous areas and stuff around them. Well, they were completely destroyed by an earthquake in, it was 80, 60, or 62 one. I mean, wiped out, gone. It's, it's destroyed. Every building's down. The Roman government, because they are part of Rome, was going to come in and help them rebuild their city. Well, they were a very wealthy city, and they said, look, we're doing it ourselves. We don't, we don't want your help, Rome. Thank you very much. We're going to take care of it. I mean, from a, from a public pride standpoint and civil pride, kudos to them. But they ran into a few issues when they were trying to build their town. One of the biggest things they had a problem with was getting water. Now, because they were down in a valley and there was mountainous regions around them, they had nice cold water in lakes and stuff up in the mountains. I mean, snow up on the mountains and stuff. And they could pump that water down to their town to get cold water that you can use for drinking, that you can use for, I don't know, brushing your teeth or stuff, whatever you need cold water for. They also had 
water at a couple rivers uh, just down the way from a little bit. These rivers came together and it created some hot springs. And so they had access to hot water. And they, they had developed this very sophisticated, and this is all documented in history, so that's why I'm not giving you sources where I'm getting it from. You probably get it from all kinds of places. That they had developed this, this system, these aqueducts, where they could pump this hot water from the hot springs up to their town. But here's the problem they had. The distance they had to make this water travel from the hot springs to the town, by the time they got to the town, it wasn't hot anymore. It was kind of lukewarm. It wasn't any good for sanitizing stuff. It wasn't really very good for cooking stuff. It wasn't good for what you would need hot water for. Problem with their cold water. When they're pumping it down from the mountains. Problem was by the time it got to them, it was kind of lukewarm. It wasn't very cold anymore. It had lost its usefulness of keeping meat cold, of being able to drink it. And so now they have hot water and they have cold water, but by the time it's getting to them, it's lukewarm. It's useless. So now let's look at what is said to the church at Laodicea and see if you think about this differently. Revelation chapter 3, starting verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that they are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's not that God wants them to be hot for him, on fire for him, all in, or he wants them to just be cold for God. I w he's not saying I would rather you just be completely turned off to your Christian faith or be completely turned on to it and nothing in the middle. God understood, look, there's usefulness to this hotness, but there's also usefulness to this cold. You can drink it. You can use it to sterilize, but all you're getting is lukewarm. You're not anything. You're, you're useless. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. At least do something. At least make yourself useful in some way. You're coming in here lukewarm. I'm just going to spit you out. Who wants to drink lukewarm water? You can't use it for anything. It's not good. Are we allowing ourselves to become so casual today that we're becoming lukewarm water? We're not good for anything. You know, we, we've gone through a couple things. We've, we've looked at our approach to worship what kind of effort we put into evangelism, how much time we spend in God's word, the entertainment that we surround ourselves with. And, and the list could go on and on. We could keep on going, but obviously there's not enough time to do something like that, uh, at least not right here. But the big question is, we know what God did for us. He didn't have to do what he did. He didn't have to put his son on this cross and die one of the most brutal deaths that's recorded in history crucifying someone was just torturous he didn't have to do that for us but he did what are we doing in return are we just treating it as like yeah he died for us yeah that's great so what now i'll come to church i'll come take the lord's supper i'll remember it yeah but are we defiling the lord's table because we're not giving god the best he deserves the best. He wants the best from us. He demands the best from us. Anything lukewarm, he's going to spit it out of his mouth. He doesn't want it. 
again, I said that I knew this was going to be a, well, it was a, at least for me a difficult sermon to do in terms of putting it together. And I'm, I've been talking to myself through this whole thing because I, I know me, there's a lot of stuff I need to improve in my life. But I want us all to think seriously about how we're approaching our faith. How are we approaching our Christian life? Is it, it has to be more than sitting in one of these seats. It has to be more. You may not be the best Bible class teacher. You may not be able to stand up here and preach. You, there's a lot of things you may not be able to do. You just Some people don't have talent for it. But there's something you can do. Everybody can do something. you got to find something that can be done to try to spread the kingdom of God. God needs us to spread the borders of his kingdom. He's left it in our hands. We are the stewards of his word. What are we doing with it? If you haven't become a child of God, then, and I guess in all reality, none of this really mattered if you're not even a child of God yet because there's no hope for heaven. I mean, it's just blunt and honest. The, the only possibility is hell. If you have doubts and don't believe enough yet, let us know that. We'll be more than happy to sit and study further with you. But if you do believe and, and you're still not followed through with what God wants us to do, I, I don't understand why there's any reason to wait any longer. Become a child of his today. If you have areas in your life that needs improvement, that you need to get back into being more faithful, to get out of this casual mindset that we catch ourselves in sometimes, let's, let's go through this together as a family, this congregation. We're all here to help each other. None of us are on this, this journey of being a Christian on our own. Let us pray with you and, and help you and give you a shoulder to lean on if you need it. If you need anything, we ask you to come as we stand and we sing.